Welcome to the Go All In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes right here in Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Rob Brown from Curb. Now, if you're a first-time listener to the show, welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you're returning for more, you're coming back, welcome back. We love our repeat offenders here at the Go All In Podcast. One last thing before we get started, just take a little peek at your phone, if you're listening in on your phone, that is, and hit that subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. And if you're watching this video on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button and the bell as well. That way you'll never miss an episode. And what I would ask is if you like what you hear today, don't forget to share this episode with your friends and your family. That way we can share a bit of the go all in love all the way around our networks. All right, let's get into the show. Over the Last couple of years, the words sharing economy have become part of our everyday vernacular. The well-known stories of the rise of Uber, Airbnb and the likes have been well-documented and there's been hundreds of podcasts about them and the founders, the people and the revenue and the capital raising. These stories have been told time and again and there's plenty of people that have talked about these successful companies. Our guest today, Rob Brown, is the creator and the founder of Curb, which is the Airbnb for parking. Now, if you're from a big city like me, then you will know the challenges and the pain and the butt that parking can often be. In fact, if I had to pop into the city right now in the middle of the day for a quick one-hour meeting, I would expect to pay between $30 and $50 to park my car in the city for a meeting that would just last an hour. It's ridiculously expensive. Even in the suburb where I live, in the southern suburbs here in Sydney, parking is a pain here as well. There's a two-hour limit in most of the suburb, and it's always on people's minds. In fact, parking your car affects more than 2 billion people globally every day. Curb is an app that connects people wanting to park their car with people that are looking to share and rent the parking space that they have. Curb's growth has been amazing and in just three years they've managed to launch in more than 600 cities and they're in more than 130 countries and their app has been translated into more than 20 different languages. Incredible. As you'll hear, Rob was all in from the start and he not only shares his go all in story but some amazing value bombs on what you should concentrate your attention on in business. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Rob Brown. Rob Brown, welcome to the Goal In Podcast. It's great to have you here, mate. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be here. All right, awesome. Before we kick this off, and I'm really excited about this one, and I can't wait to hear your story and hear about your commitment and the Goal In mindset. Before we do that, let's get to know you a little bit. Where are you from? What's your background, and where did it all start for you? Oh, I'm, I'm from all over the place, to be honest, Rob. I was born in Melbourne, lived in the UK, lived in France, Paris, been back in Sydney for about 20 years and uh, spend about sort of half of my year doing business all over the world. So uh, I'm a bit of a... But where did it start? My background is, at, is international marketing. I was sort of 20 years marketing um, international education, actually, uh, for big listed education group, bringing international students into North America, Australia, New Zealand, UK, that sort of stuff. And I've always been about sort of fascinated by the disruption that's happening in, you know, industry after in the, you know, they're falling like dominoes and higher education where I used to come from is, is, you know, is another one, the next, next in line. So, you know, I've done a lot of keynote speaking around the world around disruption and, you know, particularly as it relates, you know, as this, as the sort of confluence of technology, you know, hitting industry after industry. And um, yeah, the, the idea for, came from sitting in traffic in Sydney on the way home from work and I was looking at all these empty driveways and I'm thinking, there's an idea for a billion dollar, uh, billion dollar business and uh, the rest is history, as they say. The rest is history. So, so you travel so much and we'll get into that in the show, but where do you call home? Is Sydney home for you? Do you have a house or an apartment here? Yeah, Sydney, Manly, Northern Beaches, yeah, is, is a home. So uh, it's, um, it's well, you, you know it well, Rob, it's a great place to live. I get in the harbour every morning, every, you know, go for a swim, come rain or shine every day of the year um, when I'm here in town. But that, that's where I call home. Yeah. yeah, very nice, very nice. And what about working in the education space, in, particularly in marketing? That's hyper 
competitive. That's one of those industries where it's like a real bloody dog eat dog thing because consumers have got so much choice in there. Did you cut your teeth in there? You must have worked there for a long oh, time. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was in there for over twenty years, and 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 it's. I mean, they were always marketing to international. Uh, we did a bit of domestic students here in Australia, particularly, but the international thing, Rob, because the you're talking about. You see these international students walking the streets of your city. You know, whether in, you're in the UK or the US, North wherever it is, or Australia, New Zealand. And you think, you know, every one of them's got a story, but the story is normally a lot more involved than, you you know, most of us realize. I mean, you take an average Chinese student, their parents, that student, because it's normally only one, one, one child, yeah, one, yeah. Um, their family has been saving up for 20 years to send them overseas. And, and, you know, and not just the family, the extended family, grandma sold the farm, uncle sold the factory, you know, yeah. all for that one child's education. So, it, but it is competitive and, and it's a long sales cycle. I mean, they're... They're in the, in the market for normally shopping around for two, sometimes three years before they actually make a decision on where their, their child is going to go and study overseas. So fascinating industry. Yeah. How do you differentiate yourself in education? I'm interested to know that because I've been in marketing for a long time as well and doing a lot of client-based work. One example that I have is, you know, we did a lot of electricians. We yeah. had a lot of sparkies that we looked after and, you know, you, Sparkies do different things, but yeah. at the end of the day, they're all tradies. They all yeah, do the same yeah. thing. So how do you differentiate yourself? And in education, if I'm going to go and study and get a degree, what difference does it make if I get a degree here or to get a yeah. degree here? Like, gosh, it's it must good, be hard. No, it's a great question, Rob. It's a, because, I mean, most universities commoditize products. And look, at the end of the day, I mean, the reality is, Rob, most of them will disappear. As hard as that is, you know, for a lot of people to accept, it's a bit like when I came back to Sydney in 1995, 94, 95 was the year that the internet, as we know it, went mainstream by the World Wide Web with Netscape mm-hmm. Navigator. But I, get, I came back from Paris to Sydney. I didn't know anybody. I was the first person I knew that had an email address. The place you went to get information was a building called a library. You know? yeah. <laughs> that just seems absurd. And so when you look at the university sector today, the higher ed sector across the world, there are about 8,000 universities around the world. You know, some extreme sort of pundits, uh, you know, would say there'll be a hundred left in, you know, a hundred left in 30, 40 years. It's going to be massive consolidation. But when, you know, our grandchildren will probably, you know, ask us, is it true, Granddad, that you really went to study in a building to acquire information <laughs> at the cost of $25,000 a year? Seriously, is that true? And uh, he'd say, yeah, that's what we used to do, you know. So it's, it's a model that is, um, but it is very competitive. It's very, you know, most products, you know, business degrees and all that. So it's a bachelor of business from, you know, University A or University B. I mean, it's a commoditized product. And, uh, and so you're really marketing on location, uh, price point, I mean, student experience, you know, there's uh, and then from an international sort of recruitment perspective there's there are these middle middle men normally middle women called agents they're a bit like a travel agent but they they dispense advice on where to study and they clip the ticket in a pretty significant way in terms of uh you know the universities are you pay them a, a you know a pretty healthy commission so you've got that whole sort of where is a student being diverted so that's another factor so the agent is a very very significant piece of the puzzle in terms of where students are directed to go and study yeah, really, That's really fascinating industry. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, really interesting conversation. It goes to the very heart of the blue ocean, red ocean theory. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yeah. In the bloody red ocean, where it's hyper competitive, the only people that win are the consumers. Yeah, because people are fighting on bells and whistles and additions and things That's like true. that. And and I saw that a lot in the tradie space when we worked in that space. You know, like this guy would have this program, or you'd get this discount, yeah. or yeah out fee or things like that and when you look at the differentiating factors across all of them the only people that were winning were the consumers yeah and like dude you're cutting off your nose to spite your face yeah, and you're doing yeah. it like oh, don't do that in marketing and it's kind of everybody's doing it sort of thing and it's a race it's a race to the bottom is it the is a race to the bottom it, it is a race to the bottom rob and i think that, you know the danger with the race to the bottom is that you might win business <laughs> 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 and so but it is it, it really is and and i think you know, we're starting to see, particularly in in sort of Anglo societies, Western Europe, but particularly you know Australia, New Zealand, US, a lot of school age, uh, high school age kids are just uh, are turning away from university. They're just going, you know, and even you know the big sort of the, you know the biggest 
tech companies, the big four sort of, you know, accounting, um, auditing companies, you know, KPMG, PwC, Deloitte, etc. They're now, you know, they're, not, they're no longer, or well, they've changed, let's say they've changed their recruitment policy for staff where they only used to recruit from the Ivy League or the Russell Group or the Group of Eight in Australia. Now they're, you know, they've just, you know, discarded that, that, that sort of policy. And you're seeing the big tech companies doing the same up until sort of five, six, seven years ago, Google was the same. Apple was the same. They were only recruiting from top universities and they've, they've, they, they've understood. So I think we're getting to the point where there'll be a tipping point where people who are not going to university are also getting jobs the same. They're competing for the same jobs. And I think once employers start to, to sort of, again, relax their policy around, you must have a university education. I think the dominoes will really start to fall very fast. So, and we're getting to that point. Pretty, it's pretty close. So. Well, yeah, when I left the military, I was really concerned that I didn't have a university degree and I never, I could have done that while I was in yeah. the military. The ADF are good for that. Yeah. When I left, I was worried about that, you know, but I went straight into my own business and yeah. it didn't really matter. I didn't yeah. know anything about business. I just learned yeah. it along the yeah. way, you know, yeah. and luckily it wasn't a race to the bottom. It was kind of, it went yeah. really well. It was it yeah. was good in that sense. But over the years, I've had jobs as well in between businesses and things working and whatnot. And it's never, ever impacted me as to whether or not I've had a degree or not. You know, often a job application says you need to have university yeah. qualifications and I would apply anyway. And often I would win those, yeah. those jobs and, and yeah. to do those things. But ultimately, I was never a very good employee. Yeah. <laughs> like a like a caged lion walking around wanting yeah. to d- yeah. dispense with all of these ideas and things and here I am now today doing what I'm doing. Well Rob, thank you for sharing that and letting us get to know you a little bit and a bit of your background there on the front end of the podcast here. People come on over to the Go All In show to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could mate, could you please share with us your biggest go all in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Well, look, I mean, Curb from day one has been a go all in, Rob. It was never about, you know, an Australian parking app or an Airbnb for parking for Sydney or anything like that. I mean, and, you know, there are plenty of those around the world. There are, you know, a couple of hundred parking apps that are that are sort of local to a city or a country. Everywhere we go, we, you know, we find there are two or three competitors in most markets. But Curb was always about go all in, like, take over the world. And um, literally, I mean, this was always a global from day one play. We built the product, the back end, the tech to be able to plug in languages, all that sort of stuff. And international, you know, doing, you know, taking a business truly global is is as all in as you can get. And it's a really, really hard thing to do. It's a bridge, several bridges too far for most companies. What you What you find and what investors will tell you, Rob, is that, you know, they sit and talk to people all day, every week that say, oh, we've got a business that's got real global potential, you know, international potential. But those words, international potential or global potential are, are just that. They're just potential. Actually executing on an international strategy is incredibly, incredibly difficult. And so, you know, we are having a massive swing of the bat um, with, with Curb. We're in a, a Series A capital raise at the moment for an eye-popping amount. And, you know, again, even in this market in Australia, you know, investors just like, you seriously, you seriously going to go for that kind of, you know, that kind of amount of money? We're like, absolutely, we're going to need that to win the world. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and SoftBank entered the space uh, in December last year. They invested $800 million in a in a tiny parking app uh, in the US. So, you know, we're, you know, we're going all in on that. So the advantage that I've had that, you know, one of the things that I bring to the business is having done business overseas for, for 20, 30 years in, or 20 years, I should say, in, in 40 plus countries, that brings you not just a lot of experience, but it also brings you an awareness of how much you don't know. Um, and it's, I mean, you know, China, for example, is the last country on our list. We've got our curb is localized for 600 cities around the world in 130 countries. And our sort of five-year model encapsulates the, you know, revenue assumptions, et cetera, on all of those countries. But China is the last place we'll launch if, you know, uh, when we get there. As a, you know, a non-Chinese company in that country, I mean, I've done business up there for, you know, 10, 15 years and uh, it's a, it literally is a different world. It's a fascinating world, but it's a different world. So I guess the biggest all-in story, Rob, we really are, we are going for this. It's Cubs. 
in 20 languages, fully, fully translated, which again is, you know, I'm, I'm in, in a previous life an accredited translator as well. And uh, I couldn't even attempt what, I've, what, what, what we've attempted with the language piece um, without, you know, without having that experience of speaking and writing a couple of other languages. So, uh, but it's, it's great. It's exciting. And, uh, you know, and uh, we're not shying away everywhere, from, from anywhere. I mean, we've, we've got staff in Africa. We're, we've just launched soft launch in India, you know, even places like that as challenging as, as that where we really are all in, as you say. Very nice, very nice. Well said. And, and I don't think there's a bigger all in than taking a business to a global scale like that. Take me back to the time you were sitting in the traffic, looking at all the empty driveways going, well, there's, there's an opportunity. Is, was that how the business was born? And how long did it take for you to kind of actually do something about that idea? So, I mean, that's exactly how it started. And, and, you know, I'd always been fascinated by Airbnb, Uber, you know, those kind of disruptive models, which were really changing behavior around the world. I mean, when you think, you know, you think about, you know, 10 years ago, the taxi industry, um, which is very similar in, you know, the parking industry, ironically, is in a almost identical place as the, as the taxi industry was 10 years ago. And getting from A to B was, you know, you either got in a car or you walked or you got a taxi. And getting a taxi was, a, you know, wherever you were in the world, it was a pretty standard process. But it wasn't a very pleasant experience normally. It was, it was just a functional, you know, thing you had to do. And then Uber came along and all they did was just lift the bus slightly on your expectations of that experience. They provided data you know, they took away, took out steps, you know, less friction, no money, no paper receipts, no having to queue in a line, you know, the thing came to you at a press of a button. And so, you know, the, the, the whole idea for Curb really came, you know, from that. It's like, well, this, there's got to be an opportunity. There's a massive opportunity here. Nobody owns this space globally. So we're going to go for it. So I went home and I said to my wife, I said, you know, I just had an idea for a billion business. And, uh, and, uh, I think I've had that conversation about 30 times in my yeah, life. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you know this, Rob. I mean, ideas are cheap. You know, there, are, there would be a thousand people around the world developing their version of Curb. But executing on those ideas is, is a completely different sort of uh, kettle of fish. And it's one thing, and I mean, you, you know, you'd know this as well as anybody. There is so much great tech that just gets left on the drawing board because you know, either the founders or the founder worked, you know, worked for two years, late nights, weekends, etc., deep into the night on their dream, but they didn't know how to take it to market. And so many, so many, so many startups fail because of that. And so I, with my sort of years of international marketing and, and business experience and language experience as well, I started thinking straight away about, Okay, a name. I didn't go and have a look and see if anyone had done this before. I was just sort of, no, this is, it was just percolating in my head. And I needed a brand that, you know, and again, my, my experience internationally, my name, Rob, your name, the same, hmm. does not work as an international brand because in Japan they call you Lob. In Brazil they call you Hobby. In France they call you Hobby. It doesn't pronounce, you know. Hmm. And I needed a word that was short enough that would be pronounceable in China or in, you know, Spain or in wherever it was in the world, but also, also a name that could become a verb. Um, so let's Uber it, let, let's curb it. Let's, uh, you know, let's, let's Google it. Let's curb it. On se fait un curb, on pega un curb, you know, it, it works. So that was the, the, the word and the association with the side of the road, obviously for us is obvious, but it doesn't matter if you're, living in Japan or living in Korea and you don't, you don't understand that association. It's a bit like Uber doesn't really mean anything to most, most sort of people. It's just, a, it's just a brand. And so curb is the same, but that association is there and curb has got the potential to become bigger than the sum of its parts. Because when you think about the 8 billion people in the world today or 7.8, whatever they are, however you count them, probably 5 billion people come into contact with the curb every day. So you, you step out of a Mercedes-Benz on the curb. You park your little rickshaw on the curb. You sell sell food on the curb. You sleep on the curb. You you know you park on the curb, obviously. So that was the that was sort of getting that name, bringing it to life with a name. And then I was start very very quickly started to think about you know who else could I bring into this? And I had sort of three other people in mind. One of the one of whom was a a tech guy who worked for me at, uh, at my previous company. He was an app developer, but he'd done tech deployments at scale. It, it was a really big sort of multi-billion dollar company we were working at. 
And uh, so I, I said the same thing to him. I said, here's an idea for a billion dollar company. Have a think about it and let me know if, you want to, if you're interested. And he, he came back sort of a couple of months later. It took him a couple of months. He, come back, he came back and said, I think we can do it. I said, do, do you think we need anyone else? He said, no, I think we can do it ourselves. So we, that was it. We, we started building it. January 2016. Yeah, two guys. Yeah, he, you know, and we, we because he worked for me for sort of seven years. We knew each other very well, and he was still working for me. And so we just basically, um, yeah, we started working long, long nights and weekends. And uh, he was doing all the tech. I was doing all the front end, sort of content marketing, all that sort of stuff, getting all that ready. And then we launched it nine nine months later. And we took, you know, we took the decision to, to launch on a platform that allowed us to deploy code to iOS and Android simultaneously, which sped up. It's what a lot of companies do, Rob, as you yep. know, yep. is they'll launch on iOS because it's just easier to develop on iOS and then they'll get around to Android two, you know, two years later if they ever do. So we didn't, you know, so we launched and uh, very quickly, big news, chan- uh, chan- Channel 9 News here in Australia picked up the story. They said, we love the look of this business. We want to run a story on it. So... We got on sort of Sydney, Melbourne, you know, six o'clock news very quickly within a couple of couple of months of launching, and then, you know, the, the inquiry started to come through. Um, I mean, we got listings by then, but um, and we had. I was going to say, like, oh, can I jump in there with yeah, the, no, with the yeah. listings party and and say what was it? So you launched and people started using the app. Were you there? What, what's your mate's name? Uh, Matt. Yeah. So, so you and Matt are like looking at the site and then people are starting to use it. We, did you kind of look at each other and high five each other or is that fist bump? No, or is no, it like, no, no, oh, no, no. God. reality, reality check there, uh, Rob, because, because this is, and this is, you know, anybody who's, anybody who started a business, but I mean, it doesn't always work like that. Some businesses do take off like a, you know, like a rocket, but very few. And I remember the night that Matt's, you know, the afternoon Matt says, okay, we're live on Android because Android went live about four weeks after iOS and I had all these flyers sort of ready to go and I, I sort of got on, got my shoes on and went down to Manly and I started doing letterbox. I dropped, probably, I came back about two o'clock in the morning. I'd done about 5,000 flyers in, 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 you know, dropped them on, you know, letterboxes. All that. And I came back home and I pulled out my phone and I opened the curb app and I was expecting to see it lit up like a Christmas tree. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> okay, it's like it's late at night, you know, and people, but tomorrow, like tomorrow's Friday, you know, there'll be, you know, there'll be lots of listings and nothing. Not first week went by, nothing. Second week, nothing. Third week, nothing. And then I got a call, ironically, from a guy who was a 80-year-old, uh, used to work in the UN, uh, UN ambassador, and he said, oh, I, got, I saw a flyer in it. He said, I've got a parking space, uh, but I don't know how, like I don't use apps. I don't, can you help me? And so, you know, that was, I mean, it was a lesson for us, Rob, because it was a, we thought it was a great flyer. I mean, you know, we've got lots of, lots of experience doing that, but it just doesn't, success just doesn't come that quickly and that easy. And, and, and you've got to understand, you know, you just keep trying different approaches. And um, so, yeah, so, I mean, we've been almost three years that we're, we're live now. And yeah, we, we've, we've got proof points happening all over the world. But a lot of your assumptions around oh, that'll work there because it worked there that just <laughs> wrong, you know. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, even even just getting on. I mean, Channel Nine News um, in Australia was, you know, we got we're hosted on Amazon uh, Web Service. We got on Elastic Beanstalk um, servers, which spin up new servers mm-hmm. as you need them in real time. And to see, you know, that was the first real workout because we've got thousands and thousands of people downloading the app on the, so it was just spinning up service. But then sort of a year, last year, mid last year, we managed to get on BBC World, which is just, you know, I mean, massive, like 100 million viewers a day, probably 10 million viewing the segment that we're on talking business with Aaron Hazlehurst and other broadcasting live. And we were expecting just the service just to be knocked over, you know, but Barely caused a flicker on the uh, on the radar, you know. Barely, barely moved the needle, and uh, similarly with BBC News in London, uh, you know, a couple of weeks previously, just you know, it was almost like it didn't happen, uh, you know. So even those differences around the world are just really fascinating, sort of. Uh, and you've just got to get as many of those proof points as uh, as you can to be able to, you know, then apply that those expectations of you know as you go into new markets. Yeah, it's such a such an interesting point. You talk about PR and you're getting really great PR there. It doesn't get any better than that, getting on television shows and interviews on 
business related shows. That's as big as it gets in terms of PR. You pay thousands of dollars to agencies to get those yeah. things. You may never get them because you might not align. Yeah. But for me, it's not so much. I, I do this podcasting thing so much. So it's really great to hear you talk about it from a television perspective as well in mainstream media. And I always say it's not about where you appear so much, but what you do with it on the back end of it. And when a consumer or a prospect or a punter is looking at it, it just forms part of their decision-making matrix about, oh, well, that's, it must be credible if he was on BBC. All right, I'll, I'll give it a Absolutely. go and, yeah. and, and download it. So great to hear that there, but also not so great to hear it, that it didn't work. What was the growth hack? There must have been a growth hack engineered into it for you. Was there one or is, it still, is the growth hack still just the hustle and grind of everyday, day-to-day? Yeah, what the growth hack of what getting on BBC World or no, no, uh, more downloads and getting use of the platform? Oh, uh, yeah. Look, I mean, you know, again, different different things work in different places, Rob. And and you know, the the thing with a with a with a product like Curb or you know, it, it's it's a you know, it's a, I mean, it's a marketplace. But it's a two sided marketplace, and and you know, so anybody who's launched a you know a marketplace business understands it's it's not like opening a cafe. In a, in, a, in a busy street or a restaurant in your city because you've already got the supply of customers walking past every day. It's just a question of whether there's a demand for your type of coffee or your type of the type of food and can you make it work. With a two-sided marketplace, you've got to create the d- demand and the supply, especially in a, you know, a business that's not really familiar to most people. Mm. So, you know, that, that getting that, the supply of parking spaces is the first the first challenge. So you've got to get, you've got to get two or 300 in a city before you can then start activating demand. Because if you start activating demand first, people download your app, they have a really bad experience because there's nothing available. And then they, they just delete it from their phone. So, I mean, in terms of the growth hacks, I mean, there are, there are different things, as I say, that work in different places, you know, in some, you know, we've got multiple versions of the fly. So we do a lot of letterbox drops um, around the world, which is, you know, for a digital business, it's old school. Yeah, but it works, you know. And, but, you know, to the point, the story I told about, you know, the manly sort of, you know, experience, what we find very often is that it's professionally, you know, really slick looking sort of flyers work much better in some markets where other, others a little personal, little almost like a handwritten little strip of paper works really well in other markets. So, you know, it's that's a hack. Obviously, digital, you know, classified sites like Gumtree and, and all those kind of things, and every every country's got those. They work really well. I mean, you know, there's, the thing is that, that we're, we're solving a problem that everybody in the world can relate to, which is where to park. Yeah. Um, you know, in Sydney. And it cuts across the developed world and the developing world. So it's a great sort of, that gives us, it's not like we have to explain the problem we're solving. Everyone gets it. They're like, oh, I got it. Oh, wow, that's a really clever idea, Airbnb and all that sort of stuff. But it's getting in with, sometimes, I mean, is there a silver bullet hack? No, it's just different things work different. I mean, the BBC world, you know, the BBC world came, you know, appearance, and I've actually been on twice now on BBC world, but that came from a letter, a flyer in a letterbox in, in Edinburgh, um, you know, that led to somebody, you know, work for a media agency that specialised in sharing economy businesses, which led to a radio appearance on BBC, which led to BBC One London, which led to two weeks later BBC World. So a lot of the time it's just a daisy chain of events that, that is, and there's serendipity, there's luck involved, as you know, as anybody Anybody in business, you know, who doesn't recognize that, it's just sometimes you just have these chance meetings, you know. I mean, I met a guy on a bus, literally at the back of the bus, I was sitting talking and a guy came up to me, introduced himself. He said, oh, I used to manage Westfield's 180,000 parking spaces. I'd love to have a coffee with you. And that led to, you know, so, yeah, so, so there's all, you know, so there's, there's all sorts of different ingredients that go into into the into the cake if you like and um and you know sometimes the cake comes out well sometimes it's a complete disaster but uh there's no sort of magic hack but people obviously um getting the right people really really helps and um you know having had years of experience of recruiting people and managing teams also you know gives us a head start in that regard very nice very nice well you you seem to be in the position because i'm in this entrepreneur space and i deal with a lot of entrepreneurs in this podcasting space, both interviewing them and helping them get interviewed on other shows in, in my agency. And I've had a, I've discovered the growth hacks that I've found, which is really interesting. Like one of the great growth hacks out there is the Dropbox one where 
Th- those guys, if you don't know that for the people listening, those guys had about 3000 users and no matter how much money they put into advertising, I'm spending like 10 grand a month or something on advertising. It didn't grow their market and Dropbox was really unique at the time because there was a, a fairly open, it was open slather. There wasn't many places and Google certainly didn't exist with Google drive like that way back then. And they just gave away 500 meg. And back then that was a lot for every three people that joined as a result. And it just spread like wildfire and ended up offloading their company for a whole whole boatload as a result of that. And it's a really interesting growth hack. And I've tried that with a software product that my brother and I have. And, mm. you know, typically software is like an affiliate based program. And we said, well, we'll just engineer the growth hack, the mm. Dropbox growth hack into here. Mm. If somebody, you know, shares it three times instead of giving them money, because there's not that much money in the software, we'll give them the free, we'll give them, they get to yeah. use it for free. And it just didn't work. It was just, a, it was a flop. It just yeah. didn't work. There's a few people that use it. There's a bit of that. There's a bit of growth there. It just, as you say, what worked over there for Dropbox, just because they had a similar sort of product to what we had, it didn't mean it was going to work in our market. And it was really kind of hard to understand why it didn't work. And then in the end, it's like, well, we're not mass market. We were really specialized and they're mass market. But the other thing I think, Rob, is that the the times change pretty quickly. You get a growth hack like the Dropbox one or the Hotmail was, uh, and the BlackBerry sent from my BlackBerry, you know. I mean, every message that went from, you know, that was another one and Hotmail was the same. But the times change. And I think if you look at the, you know, the early days of Facebook, which, you know, some of us remember vividly where, it was just open slather. You could target anybody. You could target your competitors, anybody who likes my competitors page, anybody. And then you had the whole, the whole platform ecosystem where you had companies like Zynga, which were just, you know, went from zero to $10 billion, you know, on the, on the back of Farmville and, you know, amazing, you know, so, there were there were hacks that were that were more readily available there, but I mean it's just the, it's it's that's that's just the the story of life and the story of business. There there are other new platforms come on, and the early movers get that advantage and you know exploit those growth hacks. But and then as everybody starts to hear the story, it's like oh okay now we're going to do that. But the the sort of the train's already you know left the station on that one. So you you know it's it's a but it's everybody is. Yeah, any new business sort of startup entrepreneur is is should be looking for hacks and uh, and should be you know and there there are dozens and dozens of case studies out there, but actually deploying a hack and making it work for you legally, you know, without yeah. going to prison is a is a you know is a is another story. One one thing I'll just add there for the people listening in or watching this video, if you if you don't know the terminology growth hack, that at its definition it means engineering a growth strategy into the platform. So it's actually physically coded into the platform. That is a version of a growth hack. And that's what we're kind of referring to with the Dropbox one. You should go and check that out if you haven't seen it. Just Google it because those stories are everywhere. Rob, you're at a point in your business where you're at a capital raise, but we started here at the podcast learning a little bit about your background and you've taken us through the story of Curb and the development of that, which is really, really awesome. And for the people listening in and watching, the entrepreneurs that are listening in and watching, they're kind of like, that's where, that's kind of where I want to be. And I have to say, I looked at the research that I did before this interview and the pre-interview questions that you answered for me. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's where all businesses want to be. That's where I want to be type thing. And I just wanted to go just rewind a little bit to the, the mindset a little bit. If somebody is listening to this podcast or watching this video on Facebook or YouTube and they had some, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here and what should we be focusing on? What are, what are the key points? So it's in no particular order. It's pretty random. This is not the hot seat, by the way, just as I, as I warned you about. If I was in the startup phase, what would you say that the number one or two things that I should be focusing on? So assuming my product, the development's finished and I'm going to market, I'm ready to launch. What should an entrepreneur really focus on? Look, I mean, it depends on the, it really depends on the type of product. If it's a product in the tech space, um, which a lot of startups, you know, have have a tech component to them today. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, mobile is the future of, you know, commerce, et cetera. I mean, I think one of the mistakes that, that a lot of a lot of founders make is that they're, as I said, as I touched on this before, it's one thing about building your product, but you've got to be able to take it to market. Mm-hmm. And 
if you are if you are building a, a startup in the tech space, you've got to have a tech founder. You just if you haven't got one, go and get one. You can't, you know, you've got to have somebody who lies awake at night worrying about the tech side. I in a previous life, I had a tech startup, and I, I, I we didn't have a tech founder, and I used to worry, lie awake all night. You know, we had paying customers, and it was like, you know, if the server goes down, how are we going to get back up, and how long is it going to take, and all that sort of stuff. So that's the first thing. But I think. Also, I, I, I really passionately believe that I'm, I, you know, a strong marketing founder. If you haven't got a strong marketer on your team, and it might be that you know you, you haven't come from a marketing background or you haven't come from a tech background, you've just got an idea for a business, you've got it to the point where, but you can always bring in founders at, at, at the early stage. They don't need to be there around the kitchen table having the original idea, but having somebody with experience um, that can take your product to market and that can can worry about the tech side. For me, those are two absolutely critical ingredients. The other thing I'd say is, you know, you've got to have people on your team that can communicate what your business is. And when I say, well, by, by that, I mean, you, you know, ideally you'll have somebody on your team who's really strong, got really strong written communication that can write those articles, those blog posts, those, you know, mm-hmm. and somebody who can get on stage and, and, and speak in public about it, who can speak to the media about it, who can present to investors about it, because it doesn't matter how smart you are or how great your idea is. If it, if it stays in your head because you can't communicate it to the world, then, uh, you know, and it's a futile exercise. And, 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 you know, the great communicators and great communication skills are, are, are absolutely core and critical to the success of a, uh, of a startup, and particularly as it grows, because the MD or the CEO takes on a different role. You know, they're, they're the, you know when you're in startup phase, you're doing everything, as everybody knows. But as the company moves to that next stage, your role changes quite significantly, and you do become... The public speaker, the you know the the, the person you, you're the spokesperson, the, the lead singer, if you like, for the for the band, and uh, having those communication skills is absolutely critical. So those are the if you haven't got them on your team, you, you know you need to go and find them, get people who who, who do have those skills. Beautifully said, mate. Beautifully said. I could I couldn't help but like giggle to myself there. I, I I'm not sniggering you at you. I'm sniggering at myself. Um, you said you need to have that tech founder. <laughs> my, my brother and I, we have this software company. It's called Serpworks. It's a SEO browser extension and nothing out there like exists like that. The business does really well now, but way, way, way back when, you know, you're in a bootstrapping mode, Richard and I said to each other, dude, you know, there's another four grand in dev to go out the door type thing. And we'd yeah. look at each other and I'd kind of just I just remember walking out of the office in Parramatta near Parra train station, going to Nando's for lunch. You know, it's a boiling hot summer's day in the Western suburbs of Sydney. It's 49 and a half degrees in the shade sort of thing. And, you know, we're walking out of the nice air conditioned office in office attire. And he would say that. And I was like, well, dude, it's the gutter or the penthouse, mate. You know, we're, we're so far in it. We're up to our neck in it sort of thing. And, the reason we would have those conversations is because our two developers were two brothers in Egypt. Mm. And, you know, like all good startups, you're outsourcing everything that you do. You know, the IP is yours. You just need to give them the instructions. And what we were attempting to do had never been done before. We were inventing something and it was so damn complicated. And the reason I was kind of like giggling to myself about your comments that you need that is, I don't know if you've ever worked with folks from Egypt. They are the most friendly, lovely, family orientated people that you could ever imagine. And Mm. these two guys, our brothers, you know, and me and Rich are brothers. So it was kind of like, there's a little bit of a novelty there that never really worked off. And these guys were super smart. They worked for the biggest telcos over there in Egypt and they were incredible programs, incredible developers. Nothing was like in a hurry. Yeah. Like if the server was down or something was not working and the paying customers were upset, these guys were like, yeah, man, we'll we'll get to it. And then they're on the other side of your clock as Mm. well. That's, that's the hard part about it. You know, you get to work at six o'clock in the morning as you do and you're working away doing your thing and something goes wrong and you're like, Oh my God, these guys are just not going to be here for another like 19 hours because it's the end of his day. He's gone, whatever. It's like, Oh my gosh. And I would echo that so unbelievably loudly. And, Recently, uh, Rich and I found some developers here in Australia. Again, freelancers um, and all outsourced. So we retained everything. We didn't need to bring them in the fold of our business. But gosh, it made the world of difference. And that, I would echo that. That's probably one of the biggest things to solve is to have that technical person in-house in the same country, in the same time zone. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, uh, I think definitely a tech founder. Um, but then the question is, can the business afford to employ full-time tech people in, in your, you know, in, an, in yeah. an Anglo or a Western European sort of context? And certainly in our case, we couldn't, couldn't have got the product to where the product is today, where Curb is today without, without outsourcing. But we've got, a, we've got a team in Jakarta. Um, we've got a team in India. And Matt and I, in a previous life, had sort of built a, uh, a tech team in in India, so we know how hard that is. Yeah, but uh, we've we, we've got we've got a great great team. Uh, we're really lucky in terms. You know, we just locked out. We got a great guy who's a CTO of a big uh, multinational before, so knew all the talent in the market, and has just bought you know has brought in you know great. Uh, recruit after great recruit, so awesome. so you can you can have a very very different story, and uh, you know the the horror stories are uh, you know are legendary. They're all out there online, you know. So they are, they are, and and you just don't have to make the same mistakes that everybody else does. So that's kind of the whole point of these podcasts, right? Is that you learn from other people's mistakes. One of the one of the interesting things for me as a, as also as a tech founder as well. Maybe we can just stick with the tech theme here. The question that I always have is, what's more important? Is it sales, marketing, or advertising? Uh, look, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really... It's loaded. It's deliberately yeah, loaded. It's loaded. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I mean, advertising, let's put advertising into the sort of marketing bucket. So what's more important, sales or marketing? I mean, you know, if you think of that funnel, you've got uh, that sales funnel, you've got your marketing, you know, awareness at the top, you've got your brand is, you know, critically important. And, and I think brand will become, you know, ever more important, especially, I mean, I know there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's less and less loyalty to brand. But when you think about the age we're going into with voice, you know, you think about Google Home or Alexa or whatever, you know, it's just going to, Alexa, order me, whatever. Um, and if that brand, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what's more important? I mean, they're both, you know, Curb is really strong on marketing. We've got a, and we've got a great brand and, and, and a great name and, and, and sort of the way we present the company is, is, you know, is, is really gold standard. We've been told by many people where, but sales is a different thing and sales is a, you know, and it's, it's an environment, you know, the parking industry, especially the B2B sales, it's, that's why, as I said at the start, it's where the taxi industry was 10 years ago. It's like a last century, low tech, dirty sort of mafia, you know, there's all sorts of that kind of yeah. underground. Um, so we're learning that sales process and it's not, I mean, it's not just car parks, it's hotels, it's churches, it's anybody with a car park basically that's got spaces. So that has been, you know, it's a challenge, but they're both important. You can't just have great marketing and no sales. Um, no matter how digital, I mean, all of our, you know, sales process, sort of the transaction process is all automated but you still got to have people out there in the field knocking on doors and um so without marketing you know nobody knows about your product and uh and so i think i you know they're both they're both super important i don't think you can sort of and there's always that friction between the two there always will be you know especially in larger organizations where you've got you know marketing always complain to the sales guys that we give you all these leads and you never convert them. Uh, and sales are always like, you're giving us crappy leads. You know, you've got to go and get us better leads if you want us to convert. There's always that. That tension will always exist. But the two are still linked at the hip in terms of their importance to a business. You just can't have. It's very, very hard to find examples of companies that had one and not the other. You know, look at Uber, look at Airbnb, those kind of companies. I mean, they spend a fortune on, mm. you know, on, on, on both sales and marketing. And um, so, yeah. So it's a it's a it's a loaded question, but my my answer is they're they're both equally important. And uh, if you know in your business that you've got a, a strength in one and not the other, you've got to address that weakness in the uh, in the other on the other side of the equation. I call it the uh, the ultimate dichotomy in business. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't lean too far left or right because, as you say, they're they're linked at the hip. But interestingly, just hearing your response to that question and just rewinding in this podcast a little bit, you started with the brand and how it was going to be presented, what it was going to be called, or translated into languages, 
And that is all marketing. Yeah. And I think, I think just, you know, the go all in brand that I created as well, I deliberately created that as something that um, people intuitively had heard before. Yeah. I was working with another client recently and his business is called Chifley Securities. And people are particularly in Sydney know where Chifley is and the word securities kind of denotes what it is. Sure. And he's, uh, his logo is a lion and the lion is kind of, representative of a Holden badge, I, I suppose. It's different, yeah. but it's similar. So you feel like you've seen and heard it all before. Yeah. And I think intuitively a founder, or an idea person has come up with the product or the service is intuitively marketing it along the way. And that's inevitably the first thing that happens, but ultimately it ends up, you know, no sales, no, no revenue, but no marketing, no leads and no sales. So interesting, yeah. interesting dynamic. You got to have a brand that people can remember as well. And you know, when 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 we look around the world, I mean, one of the mistakes that a lot of a lot of our competitors have made um, not that they've they've tried to take their brand really internationally, but you know, a lot of the parking apps in the world have got have got the word park in them. While parking is a a globally recognised name, the P sort of you know mm. is recognised in Egypt as it is in Estonia as it is in Sydney, but the word park when translated in most languages has nothing to do with stopping a vehicle by the side of the road. It's a place to walk your dog, have a picnic. Um, so it's a complete misnomer and, and won't work as a, as an international brand. So I think, you know, that, you know, and obviously with my, my marketing background, you know, it was always, it was always marketing first. Mm. And I think marketing does need to come first because, you know, as I said, without any awareness, um, if you think about that sales funnel, marketing is the top couple of tiers and as you get down the funnel, the sales, your sales sort of engine really kicks in and your salespeople really kick in. It's a, it's a, it's a, the never ending question, you know, which one, you know, horse before the cart or cart before the horse. Uh, well, I, th- I think you nailed it. So all, all good. That's the great thing about these podcasts. You can explore that and, and unpick it nicely, which I, I really like. So thank you for sharing that. I wanted to take the business kind of next level there. And this is kind of the last question for this section here for you is you start, you got your, got the right people in place and you kind of went through the right, the key people. And we're talking about sales and marketing. And now we're talking about PR and you've been an international speaker. You've had years of experience working in other countries and getting up on stages and instructing and speaking and running teams and doing all those sorts of things. But it's always a little bit different when you get invited on TV. And I've been on TV a couple of times, probably nowhere near what you've done, but just a couple of times. And what do you do about that? Is that, are you nervous? Like, oh my God, it's like, this is everything that I've wanted. And here we are on BBC, you know, on the radio. That's a pretty big achievement. That's an awesome one. Then you go next level and next level and you've leveled all the way up. What about your mindset? And, you know, you said you were going to go all in. This is going to be a global brand. And now you've been invited on BBC World Business Show. You're like, were you nervous? How do you, how do you get your nerves and stuff under control? Uh, I mean, that particular, that, that particular uh, episode was, a, was a, well, I almost missed it. I was hurtling down the, the motorway. And, uh, Are you late? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was just the traffic, all that. So anyway, but don't the, be late. That's the first tip that Rob's got. Thing, yeah. But I mean, it depends on the TV, depends on the TV show. I mean, some TV is recorded. Um, some is live. And I mean, in the, you know, if you go to case of BBC, it's you're a broadcasting house. There's like literally 500 cameras. You're in a massive sort of, you know, massive Amazing, yeah. uh, double studio. There's two sides to it. And, uh, and the, and the presenter just switches between the side and we got interrupted by Donald Trump live, uh, making an announcement about North Korea in the middle of the interview. It was a classic, but was I, was I nervous? I mean, you look, you're only going to get one shot at this. You just you you got to go all in. I mean, literally, yeah. uh, Rob, it's you can't be nervous. And I, I mean, I, I should have been super stressed because of the three-hour drive I just had, and I thought I was going to miss it. But it was just you know, it's. I mean, they make you up. You got you go through security. They put the makeup on, and you and you you know, you're into it. So I mean, I it, it is a you know a little bit nerve-wracking. And uh, I was actually on BBC World with Curb the other week. In I was. I had to go, I was in Hong Kong, so I had to go into their studio there and there were all sorts of communication problems between London and it was, um, I ended, ended up having to do it with uh, their microphone wouldn't work, so I had to put my AirPods in and they had to call my iPhone. So on your phone. it was a little bit stressful. But it, it, look, TVs, at the end of the day, you're just talking to a person uh, or, or a couple of people. People are people. Everyone's the same, Rob, at the end of the day. And I think that's a really important lesson for business as well. It doesn't matter what it says on somebody's badge or name card, 
they're still a person. They worry about the same stuff as you do. They eat three times a day. They sleep between four and eight hours a night. They worry about their, you know, they're the same. So TV is no different. You're just, you're just being interviewed by a person. And I think uh, that's, that's it's really important to remember. And you get used to the cameras after you've done it a couple of times. And most TV appearances don't normally happen in a studio. They happen in a street or in, yeah. on site somewhere. So it's a little bit less intimidating. You just got a guy with a camera and uh, they're saying, look at me when I'm, you know, <laughs> don't look at the, you know. So. Do, you, do you have talking points ready or they give, like, I prepared you for this interview, so it's nice and easy. This is kind of, you could rock up with no preparation and I could probably do the same as well, but I don't, I prepare. Yeah. And do you have talking points for yourself, some key things that you want to get across? You always get, you normally go in, you've got a bit of background, you do your research on, you know, and if you're working with a media agency, they'll tell you the angle, but it doesn't always go like that. And sometimes they're looking for a story. I mean, I I was into the other week in Hong Kong, I mentioned on BBC World, as a sort of sharing economy expert to talk about the Uber IPO, which was about, uh, was, was happening that I was there being interviewed on the Monday, the IPO was happening on the Friday. And they wanted me to sort of talk about, you know, Uber and their business model and all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't, you know, I managed to, to talk a little bit about Curb, but it was more about we want something, to, someone to say something controversial about sharing economy business models. And uh, so that, that was a strange one and didn't really go to, to sort of plan. But you've got to do your homework, of course. You've got to know the presenter and, you know, and I mean, it's all on YouTube. It's all online. So, um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, a real, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing that happens in business. And if you've never done any media and you're listening to this, uh, one really great way of, of doing some media is obviously with podcasting because it's relatively easy to get on uh, other people's podcasts and, and whatnot. And o- over the last year, I've done a lot, of, a lot of podcast interviews. And sometimes you get like these random questions. I learned to turn up with talking points uh, mm-hmm. about the things that I wanted to cover off on, on those particular interviews. And obviously, I've done my homework on those people as well. But as a podcaster, I think it's a little bit easier talking to another podcaster and like your experience with the media. So this conversation is really easy between us. And it's been a couple of times people ask me what I define as bonehead questions. I'm just mm-hmm. like, what are we asking me that for sort of thing? I would just kind of take it all in my stride and talk about whatever the hell I wanted to talk about, like a politician. Mm-hmm. And I'd stick to my talking point. And yeah. right at the very end, I'd bring it around full circle and answer that question with a yes or a no. Yeah. There's some yeah. funny little techniques that you can do like that. And um, if, you, if you're in business and you're listening or watching this uh, interview, I think it's really important that you study that stuff and take the time either to get some formal media training or to spend some time unpicking the boneheaded questions or watching when a politician is asked a question and they don't answer that question at all. They talk about what they want to talk about, bring it full circle and answer it at the end. It's a really clever kind of strategy. Did you have any media training or you just kind of felt, felt your way through? Uh, I just felt my way through. Um, <laughs> uh, Typical yeah. Aussie, you should be right, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But the more you, you know, the more you do it, obviously, the more comfortable you get in front of you know the camera and uh, or in front or of the mic, mic. Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely well rob thank you so much for sharing all of that and, and sharing your insights to being an entrepreneur and, and doing whatever it takes to succeed and you certainly embodying everything it means to to go all in and that go all in mindset I, I love it before i let you go and before we close out this podcast i want to put you in the, the go all in hot seat and ask you a couple of rapid fire questions there's only four of them they're pretty quick no it's all a bit random, no particular order. The first one I got for you is you've traveled the world. You've lived in all of these different countries, which is really interesting. Do you have a favorite holiday destination? Oh. I always like to ask that of people that have like been everywhere. Yeah. You've been to hundreds of countries, right? Well, Western Europe, I think, is probably uh, Western Europe, Southeast Asia. Hard to beat those two, two parts of the world. Is there one city? Let me pin you down. Okay, if I, if I had, to, had to recommend somewhere to, that people have probably never been to, I'd say Corsica. It's an absolute pearl in the, in the Mediterranean. And, uh, Greece, right? No, nah, it's, it's off the coast of, south coast of France and, and uh, west coast of Italy. It's, uh, it's above Sardinia, which is where a lot of people have. It's part of France, you know, um, legally, but it's, it's the same sort of relationship that Tasmania has to, to Australia, but it's absolutely <laughs> stunning. So Corsica in June or September would be my recommendation. Summer in the Mediterranean sounds uh, delightful. Yeah, but to avoid the crowds because the crowds are, you know, sort of July, August, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very busy. But, uh, yeah, so June, June, September, 
in Corsica. Well, in the, in the spirit of travel and you being a global business and having to live half of your life in other countries, you spend a lot of time on aeroplanes. Do you spend time reading, watching YouTube? Do you have a favorite author or a favorite thing to do to pass the time once you've done all your work on a plane? You know, I, I'm, I'm one of those people who absolutely loves long haul travel because, you know, and, and not right. Yeah. By the uh, way, that's uh, normal. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, you know, Rob, when you fly out of Sydney very often up to Asia, the, the flights leave sort of mid morning, you sit in, you know, settling at about 11 o'clock in your seat. By the time the plane takes off, you're ready for your first beer and, uh, but I love that time when I'm just offline for eight, like a flight up to Asia, eight, nine, 10 hours is for me is just like heaven because I, I, my brain really kicks in and you know, you're away from the kids and you're away from your, you know, the craziness of your day to day life. Mm. And that's where I, that's where, especially the flight there, often it's a night flight back as you know, into Australia. But, uh, I find that that time really, really productive. And I, I rarely actually watch, have time to watch movies or anything like that. Occasionally, if I'm exhausted on the way back, you know, with a couple of glasses of red and a, and a movie before you fall asleep. But uh, I work and I think deep thinking. So in terms of, terms of authors, who do I... I do, I don't read much, I don't read any fiction these days. I used to read lots, but I read, you know, people like Malcolm Gladwell's, all of his books, uh, you know, if you haven't read... Um, Outliers, um, that's a book that everybody should read, you know, the, the, the story of success. Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating book. I love his stuff. Ah, yeah, I've got, I've got a million, million books that I'm, you know, that I've got on the go uh, that I dip into. I've just, just read the Airbnb story, which is a fascinating read as well. But, uh, yeah, so. Very nice. Blitzscaling at the moment by Reid Hoffman, the uh, co-founder of, of eBay and, sorry, of uh, PayPal and uh, founder of LinkedIn. So, very nice, very nice. Thank you for sharing those ones. What's a skill set that you haven't mastered yet? Sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Look, really? I used to be like that, and recently I, I, I heard some stuff that said yeah. go to bed at the same time and get up at the same time. And man, my productivity has just gone through the roof because I've been doing that. It's incredible. Yeah. Look, I think I think there's there's I would love to have you know deep data analytics sort of skills, um, even deep financial analysis skills. I mean, of course, I, I like. Anybody who's been in business 20, 30 years, you know, you, you know your way around a P&L and a, and a spreadsheet, but being able to build models and that sort of stuff would be, would be really useful, particularly in this phase of the business. But look, at the same time, Rob, you can't do everything, and I think you've got to focus on your strengths. And, and uh, I think one of the mistakes a lot of people make is they try to be good at, uh, you know, quite good at everything, and it just doesn't. You've got to focus on, especially at this point in your life, when you're a you know, fully grown adult and uh, you've only got a finite number of years, like play to your strengths, um, let somebody bring in those skills. It's so, you know, employ somebody in the Philippines, whatever, who can do that stuff for you. So, um, beautifully said, beautifully said. All right, last one. What's the, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Look, um, it, it, I know it's a cliche to say, but it really is about who you know and, if you haven't got those people in your network, I mean, well, a couple, who you know, I mean, it's, it's making a huge difference to us um, at Curb, just people and, and some of our investors being able to open doors that I just wouldn't have been able to open. So that is sort of, you know, I think that the number one um, thing that I would say, but I mean, in terms of, you know, if you, 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 you're making such sacrifice to, to start a business and to, you know, so, I, I, I'm, I'm bringing it round to the title of your, your podcast, Rob, but it, you really need to, you know, you are all in, you can't, you can't, you know, half cook the cake. It's got to be, you know, you, you got to do it. You've got to work nights, you've got to work weekends, you, you, you know, you've got to put your life on hold. And that, that is very, very hard for, for a lot of people to be able to do. You know, I've got three young kids too, you know, I have to travel, you know, extensively. I may need to get on a plane tomorrow to go to the U S or, to go to Europe or wherever, you just got to do it. And so um, going all in is, it really is, um, you know, if, and if that's not for you, that's fine. You know, it's not for, it's not for a lot of people, but you have to understand. I think a lot of people, you know, once, once that, that hard work really starts to buy into their, their life. And a lot, I think a lot of people just give up and, and say, it's not for me. And that's okay. It's not, it's, it's, uh, it's better to admit that early in the game than, you know, 
too late into the game when you you know you lost you've lost your marriage you've lost your <laughs> your house you've lost your but yeah I mean it's it's hard work you know that's there's no there's no secret to success it's it's apart from hard work and you've got to be smart and you've got to be you, you know creative about the way you go uh, go about things but at the end of the day it comes down to how many hours you're putting in the day and uh, if you're watching Netflix for five hours a night while your your competitors working late late into the night, then it's pretty obvious who's gonna who's gonna win that, that contest. So those are those are a couple of snippets. Yeah. Well, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend an hour or so here with you at the Go All In podcast. Thank you for being so giving and, and sharing your insights and your wealth of knowledge. Wish you all the very best of luck with Curb and your, and your capital raise and look forward to maybe revisiting it in, in six or 12 months' time and seeing how you're going with it and, and what's happening. I'd, I'd love for you to be a regular contributor here at the Go All In show because you've just got such great insights and it's great to speak to a, a fellow Aussie just up the road in Manly as well, mate. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Okay, so they can, uh, they can jump on, hop onto the, well, download the Curb app on iOS or Android, and particularly if they've got a parking space for they want to make some money from. But if you want to contact me personally, um, Rob, R-O-B, at Curb, K-E-R-B, dot works, or you can visit our website, www.curb, K-E-R-B, dot works, W-O-R-K-S. So, yeah, but we're, uh, you'll find us online, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, wherever, wherever we're. Okay, excellent. And if you're listening to this podcast, just have a peek at your phone and Rob's links are going to be right there in the show notes so you don't have to go poking around Google for them. They're going to be right there. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll down and you'll see the links right there. And make sure you follow Rob, get inside the ecosystem, get inside those that Curb social media ecosystem and make sure you get that app on your phone as well. Before I let you go, Rob, you got a parting comment for us, mate? Oh, and I, and what you're doing, Rob, is 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 awesome, and uh, and, and uh, it's a lonely existence out there as a as as an, as a, an entrepreneur, a startup. Nobody understands the pressure you're under. Nobody understands the world you're living. Not your not your partner, not your parents. So if you are a founder, you know, I mean, hats off, you know, and and, and the very best of luck. You're giving a having a swing of the bat, and I I take my hat off to anybody who's you know who's willing to step up to the plate and and have a crack. So uh, you only get one one life. So all the best to everybody out there, and thanks for thanks for a great podcast as well, Rob. Excellent, Rob. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. We look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. What a fantastic episode. Make sure you connect with Rob and get inside of his ecosystem and make sure you get inside the Curb ecosystem as well. If you're listening on your phone, just take a peek at the show notes and all of the links to his site and socials are right there so you won't have to go digging around for them. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll down and all of the links are right there in the show notes as well. Make sure as you're looking at those links, you hit the subscribe button. That way you will never miss a podcast or a video episode and you'll always have some motivation and entertainment right at your fingertips and in your ears. And if you like what you heard today, I'd really appreciate a review via the app that you're listening in on if you're listening to this as the podcast. That helps us out a whole boatload as well. All right, if you've got a question or a comment for the show, make sure you reach out via the Go All In socials. And if you want to send me an email, you can do that by visiting goallin.com.au to find out more. Well, that wraps up the show today. So whatever it is that you're doing, whatever you're working on, get busy, get to it, and go all in. I'll see you next time. See the barbed wire The place is grown all wide Cause I don't know if it'll be enough Or if they really care There's a stairway down for the both of us But let's not go there Thinking, whoa